0: Hello, everyone. I'm Darian Gold, and welcome to All Things Pilates Season 5. There is a collective fascination with Joe Pilates, his method, and inventions. The exercise paradigm continues to evolve, as does our understanding of Joe's genius. So join us, because we know there is always more. To explore. In today's episode, we're going to hear from two very influential Pilates educators, Pat Guyton and Kevin Bowen. You may recall from last season listening to the wonderful Pat Guyton. And if you've been following me for a few years, you might have heard my radio interview with Kevin Bowen on KPCA Petaluma. Pat and Kevin have known and worked with each other ever since Kevin founded the Pilates Method Alliance in 2000. And both of my guests have gone on to teach and mentor Pilates teachers around the globe, leaving lasting impressions on all of their students. This interview may be somewhat provocative because we'll be touching on the unrest surrounding the PMA little-known tidbits about the first-generation teachers, and the current state of our Pilates community. Welcome back, Pat and Kevin. Thank you for teaming up and joining me on all things Pilates.
1: Thank you. Yes, thank you, Darian.
0: Kevin, I'd like to begin with you. As the founder of the Pilates Method Alliance, how did your idea actually get off the ground and become a professional Pilates organization And also, what was your motivation?
2: I guess it was sheer will and determination. Um, The uh, idea originally came about because we were involved in the trademark lawsuits. At that point, when Colleen Glenn and I first started talking about these things, we weren't really sure if we would be able to use the word Pilates or not, and we thought that we should... um, have some type of an organization. And if I go back a little bit further than that, it actually started way back when I was in training at Deborah Lesson's studio in 1998, 97. I think it actually would be the better time. And Deborah, Michelle Larson, Diane Miller were all there and the trademark lawsuit was in full force and i kept saying to those ladies well what are we going to do don't we need to form together and what if sean gallagher wins what if we can't say pilates and they were all at that point relatively exasperated with everything with the lawsuit and with some of the work they had done with the institute for the pilates method and really what I got was, um, you're the younger one. Why don't you do this? Because we're tired. So that's kind of how it all started. And When you say the
0: Institute, for those who don't know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the Institute. Sure.
2: So in, in uh, around 1991-ish, Eve Gentry was living in Santa Fe, because that's where she had moved to with her husband, and was working with Michelle Larson and then Joan Breibart. <laughs> who now runs the physical mind Institute was a client of Eve's and Joan was, um, kind of an entrepreneur business woman at heart. And she, um, got even Michelle organized and said, we should do something to solidify, codify, set up the Pilates, um, business, so to speak, because Joan was all about business. So. They decided, Joan started a corporation called the Institute for the Pilates Method, and they utilized Eve because Eve was friends with all of the first-generation teachers and knew them all personally, Ron Fletcher, Romana, Mary Bowen, Carola, et cetera, et cetera, Bruce King. She knew all of them. So Eve wrote them all personal letters asking them if they would join in with what they were doing in Santa Fe. And back then um, they all did. Romana was not involved in the lawsuit at that point because the lawsuit really had not come to pass back in 91. So she became involved with this Institute and the Institute's sole purpose was to promote the Pilates method. And she set up a, a more codified training program for Pilates teachers to go through as the trademark lawsuit became a reality, Joan decided that she was going to change the name of the Institute for the Pilates method because she was in the process of launching a fold-up Pilates piece of equipment called the Pilates performer, uh, which by the way, I have an original one of in storage. It's a little metal thing that was made here in New Mexico. At Sandia Labs, and not the Sandia Labs that you all would think of, but this was a little offshoot called Sandia Manufacturing, I think to be honest. And it was Native American run. So Joan wanted to launch this performer P E R F-O-R M-E-R. And she'd already produced an infomercial and hired, you know, specialized nice. person who was not a Pilates teacher, but looked really good on camera to, you know, promote this piece of equipment. So Joan is
0: practicing. We- Joan practices. At this point, yes. she's a serious Pilates teacher. Or well, no,
2: I mean... and
0: Or student.
1: You,
2: yes, and both. So you can't disregard Joan Breibart out of the history of Pilates because Joan was a businesswoman in the early 60s in New York and at lunchtime used to go to the Pilates studio and take classes with Mr. Pilates. So she's, you know, an, old timer if i can do my air quotes with my hands and has probably had more experience in pilates than you know pat and i because she was around from the time that um, joe had a studio in new york this lawsuit caused you know a big upheaval in the community and um joan changed the name uh, because it was her company and her you know wherewithal to do whatever she wanted which they were all in disagreement with, who was involved with her. Not so much the first-generation teachers, but the working board that she had assembled. Um, And that working board, uh, and I probably won't get all the names right, but certainly one was Raelle Isaacovich of Bossy Pilates. The other two were Amy and Rachel from the Pilates Center in Boulder. Uh, I believe Diane Miller was also involved. Michelle Larson, Deborah Lesson, and perhaps Wendy LeBlanc Arbuckle, but I'm not quite clear on that. And this working board came together to put things on. And there were two more people. Pat, you might know who they are.
1: I know that Elizabeth Jones Boswell led a very large studio in Houston and was very prominent, one of the first
2: Uh, big studio owners and I think Kathy Corey. Yes, I think you're right. That's right. Yes. And Elizabeth Jones Boswell back then had a Pilates studio in an old firehouse that was quite cool. And she Mm, had like... That
0: sounds very cool. She had
2: like a major studio in Houston before anyone even knew what big studios were. That's what she had.
0: Wait, 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 what apparat? which company? So the apparatus was coming from which company?
2: My guess at that point would more than likely be Balanced Body and maybe someone else. Pat, do you have any idea?
1: Yes, Uh, Elizabeth got some from Balanced Body. Now she she worked with Eve, she worked with Ron, and her husband, see a lot of, everybody's husband thought they could make a reformer. So if you were a Pilates teacher, you let your husband or your significant <laughs> other make a reformer that you put somewhere in a corner. But her husband did make some things.
2: And back b- back then, there were other people that were making some equipment. I think Amy and Rachel had, um, Mark Spinard was the guy's name. And then the other gentleman that I- Steve Giardano. This is
0: pre-Steve Giordano, but this, so this is pre Graz Industries?
2: No. Romana went to Gratz to get the equipment built um, back back when Basel was working there. And Graz, if anyone knows the history, was actually an aluminum um, fixturing manufacturing company. They didn't make equipment. And so Romana had these reformers made in aluminum, and that was the reason why they were made in aluminum. because. That's what Gratz did. They didn't make wood equipment until much later. And Ken manufactured water beds for balanced body. So he made things in wood. Probably a little known fact for a lot of people, but Ken will tell you the whole story if you listen to him. So yes, the Institute changed its name because it was Jones Business to the Physical Mine Institute. And little by little, the working board that was really doing all of the organizational parts of putting the teacher training programs together, or program together, ended up disbanding because of drama. Their disagreements <laughs> with Joe. Drama. <laughs> Dr- oh yeah, drama. That that's going to run through the whole Pilates <laughs> business oh here, Gary. <laughs> so I mean, you have a second part of the question that I didn't answer. I think like w- like what was my idea about the whole thing?
0: Well, what what was your your motivation? You you told us a little bit about your motivation. You needed something to counter what was happening on the right. other side, which was a lawsuit.
2: Right. So I had been I was sued. I was sent a letter to be sued. Oh, you were by sued. Sean. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I was uh, I had started training in San Francisco when the institute was still together with Madeline Black, and I ended up moving to Miami with my partner and started teaching Pilates. And I was teaching at a pretty well-known yoga studio, a couple of Pilates classes, and the newspaper picked it up. So I was written up in the paper. And that's what they picked up, that I was teaching Pilates and I wasn't, you know, trained by Sean or Ramana. And I got a letter to cease and desist. And that really pissed me off immensely because I had an emotional attachment to Pilates like most of us do. You know, I don't want to use any nasty words here, but I was like, you're
0: allowed. No,
2: <laughs> fuck this. Excuse <laughs> me. I just, I didn't want to put up with it. And I just thought, you know, this is something that I found in my life that really made a big difference. And now someone's going to tell me I can't teach it anymore. It just, who was your was first the, teacher? My first teacher was Madeline Black.
0: Oh, and Madeline comes from. Eve's lineage.
2: She w- worked with Eve because when the Institute started and they started training at another group, another layer of teachers, um, she had come out to Santa Fe. So she spent time working with Eve and the very well-known workshop that was videotaped, that is part of core dynamics, what I now run um, Madeline's in it. So I always love showing it because I can say that was my first teacher. But she was involved and she worked with Jean-Claude West. She worked with a number of people she knew, Naja Corey, who was involved. And, um, you know, funny thing is, is Madeline and I were both about the same age. So when I came to her in San Francisco, I was like this, you know, overdeveloped, over whatever exercise instructor. I was taught aerobics and step classes and personal training and really thought I knew everything. And um, I didn't really handle the fact that Madeline put me in my place too well in the beginning, but I shut my mouth and I learned and I moved forward because I had the best results of anything I'd ever done with Pilates. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a little bit about how it all started.
0: And if we go back to the Pilates Method Alliance, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: how long were you the executive director
2: from well initially i was the president of the board and colleen was the vice president president. and then somewhere around 2006 2005 um, we had grown so much it was time to put an executive director in place and having been the president all of that time basically that's what i was doing already i was the president of the board and running everything so it made perfect sense because colleen by the time I became the executive director. Colleen left after the first year, basically. Oh. Year and a half. Willingly? (laughs) Well, it was in the organization's best interest because of a couple of things that occurred at that time that um, Colleen stepped back and away from the organization and I just took everything over. But that is not anything to say anything against colleen it's just the fact of what happened and frankly so if we're going to talk what happened was oh, here we go she did something without she did something without thinking about it and she sent out a survey to all of the people that were coming to our first conferences asking them what their favorite piece of equipment was well that burned all of the manufacturers because they weren't involved in the survey and it was really nothing that we were really trying to do at that point. And, um, it was a thought process on hers that probably at some point would have been a good thing, but it just, it caused a lot of havoc with Grotz was involved with us. Pete was involved with us. Stott was involved with us in Balanced Body at that point. And they, um, They were very unhappy about that. So that started the process.
0: You're right about drama. It's starting early. I want to get to, I want to get to Pat. Uh, yes, go go Pat. Pat. So you shared with us last season that you met and began working with first generation Ron Fletcher early, early on in your career. That relationship somehow led you to Kevin, how did that how did you two
1: actually come together? Well, it goes back to the lawsuit. So I was working with Ron, let's we'll see, I met him in 95. And uh, my do- I was working at an osteopathic office as a physical medicine assistant. And the doctor's office actually got a letter, but the doctor threw it in the trash because he thought it was ridiculous. The, when, when Sean bought the trademark, we had prescriptions for Pilates-based resistance exercise that predated his claims that he bought the trademark. So from my point of view, I have been getting prescriptions, providing Pilates in an osteopathic clinic And we're paying the U.S. government taxes for the money we earned providing Pilates. And so I was deposed and Ron happened to be in in town for a workshop. And so Sean and his attorneys came out. So Ron was deposed at that time. Wait, in
0: Colorado or in Colorado, in In Boulder?
1: So I was deposed, Ron was deposed, probably Amy and Rachel There may have been a few other people in Boulder. And I just said, I have these prescriptions. So they asked me for all my medical folders. And I said, I'll give you 20. They said, no, we want them all. I said, no, you're getting 20 because I have to redact everything. And 20 is enough. If you want more later, you can have them. So uh, Ron had a very good time. (laughs) In deposition, um,
0: <laughs> another stage for him.
1: Uh, yes, yes. So uh, he really entertained the the, the judge Marion Cedarbaum during the trial. He was quite entertaining then too. Do you want to hear a little story about that one? Yes. Uh, I guess Judge Cedarbaum said, "Well, why doesn't Ramana like you?" And <laughs> oh no. Ron said, God bless you, Ron. (laughs) I have to laugh. He said, well, you see, Romana wanted to be the queen, and I got the role. (laughs) That's Ron. So anyway, the the, uh, first meeting of the PMA happens. Ron was at the party that Kevin can talk about. And... uh, Everybody, you know, Kevin and Colleen, they're all really excited. Let's get something together. Ron and all the first generation teachers, oh, it can't be done. It can't be done. So Ron would go around. I followed him to workshops. Oh, well, this is ridiculous. Can't be done. Nobody will ever get along. But we get the invitation from Kevin, and it was in April in 2000 in Miami. And Ron says, Miss Pat, we better go down there and just see what's going on. And so we went, and that's when I met Kevin.
2: Hmm. Right. And it, 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 was, it was a process to talk to Ron because back when we were first starting this, when I was asking around, you know, we didn't have social media. We didn't really have a lot of emails going on at the time. None of that. So I asked, and the thing was, is they said, I was told that if you wanted to get to Ron, you had to go through Kathy Corey. So I called Ron and then somehow out of the blue, I got Ron's, or excuse me, I tried to call Kathy and somehow out of the blue, I got Ron's phone number. And I called Ron up and I said, you know, introduce myself, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, it's hard getting hold of you. I was told that I really needed that Kathy Corey was the person who cleared you to do everything. Well, that pissed Ron off immensely. Pat Uh-oh. probably knows this, and I don't know what happened after that, but he was not happy with that statement at because... all.
1: Because? Because uh, this is more drama than no <laughs> Here <to> we go. <laughs> there, was a, there was an incident with uh, a production that was happening, and Kathy was Ron's assistant, and she really, she did a lot for him. Oh, yeah. But things would happen, and if Ron got unhappy, and sooner or later, if you, Ron had a string of people. It I was Kathy, and then it was me. So by then, he had already had this separation from Kathy. If you listen to Ron, I understand his point of view. But years later, when I listened to Kathy, there was a lot of legal things with Ron's behavior that he simply did not understand, Ron did, Ron did what he wanted. So by then, probably the way to get to Ron was through me. Uh, but anyway, that's why you had trouble <laughs> to Ron.
2: Indeed. Indeed, maybe you're getting more than you want to know, Darian.
0: No, I, I mean, this is history. This is absolutely part of the history. And the fact that there are generations now of teachers that have no sense of where this all came from and how it all evolved. So as with any industry, especially industries that have a performance base to it, somewhere somewhere in it, of course you're dealing with egos, of course you're going to deal with drama. But within that drama, there are all these amazing stories that very positive things have come out of it.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: It would have been really interesting to be a fly on the wall and have all the first generation teachers in one room if there was enough space in the room for all of their egos. Were they just regular people that just happened to study with Joe and now everyone wants to elevate them to this Pilates elder title that they didn't even really like? It would be interesting. And now most of them are not with us anymore, at least physically. I wonder what they think of this whole, this whole industry now.
1: Well, I asked Ron a question once uh, because we we've seen the pictures of Eve working with Joe, and Ramana, but I don't. I haven't found any of Bruce working with Joe or really Ron in the studio with Joe or Clara. So I asked Ron. I said, why didn't Why didn't all of you take photos? And he said, Pat, you have to remember, we didn't go around with cameras. We didn't have phones. Flip phones is, is what we would have been talking about. He said, we didn't have any of that. And furthermore, he said, we weren't going to Joe's to become Pilates teachers. We weren't really even going to Joe's necessarily to learn Pilates, at least at first, because we didn't know what it was. We went because we were dancers, performing artists, and I had a knee injury. Bruce had a knee injury, so they went so they could dance, and that's important to remember. And also, Joe did not run a training program; that was not his motivation.
2: Right. Each of the, each of their stories, when you if you talked with them, was all quite different. It was quite a different time. Um, I think Joe from what I understood from those first generation teachers would then make a decision. If he needed some help, he would say, Eve, go do this or Ron, you know, but he did not train people. It really wasn't until the official training program was when Lolita and, and Kathy Grant went through it through the state of New York for that uh, dancers and transition program or whatever it was that they called it at that point. And that was in the, 65 64 somewhere around there yeah, somewhere. it's
0: crazy how it's all evolved right mm-hmm. one thing that sort of disturbs me is there are people that go through a program and i don't know what other kind of training they have under their belt but somehow they feel like they're ready to put a program together and the next thing you know their shingle is up and they're starting a program and what gets lost in translation is such this this deep study that we have to have so deep in our own body. I think somebody said that Joe said that you needed to study with him three years before he would even consider you ready to go off on your own. And that was Joe. So here we are, second generation teachers. And then we have students who go through a program And then they're already ready, they think they're ready to put a program together. So much has been lost in translation. I see that now when I'm working with third and fourth generation young teachers, what they don't know, they just don't know. (laughs) I don't know how how long they studied before they wanted to go pursue their own thing.
2: Interesting uh, comment, I won't give a lot of specifics, but back when we started the PMA and We had different registrations for people who were either teachers or um, they wanted to register their training program. There were several people that registered their training programs as training programs in 2002 that hadn't even finished a training program. And those same people now run relatively large and robust training programs today. One I don't think is involved in the industry anymore But that was an interesting aspect, to things that irritated me. But, you know, I've said to both of you before, I know where all the bodies are buried. So, Pat, do you have something to add? Yes. This goes
1: to current, what's going on currently.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I'm not going to mention the country or the language, because I think it's not... It's important that we consider that this is probably universal from what you've been saying, Darian. This one particular school in a foreign country has been approved as a teacher training program, but my friend said this particular group of people, no one can speak English let alone read or write English. So someone else has prepared all this information. And he said, furthermore, I've been teaching for 35 years. They're not doing
2: Pilates, but they're approved. (laughs) Makes you scratch your head sometimes, huh?
0: Yes. Yes. Which it actually, this leads me to my next question and I, I think we're all we're all on the same page with this, but in our pre-interview, Pat, you said that the two of you definitely feel a responsibility to pass on Joe's teachings as you were taught it, and you use the term custodian. And I wanted you to say more about that.
1: To me, the word custodian means that we gather up information in the course of our training and our practice and over a long period of time. I know for Kevin and I, we try to protect what we've been given. Now, I have to always add this, we all have selective memory. So even those first generation teachers who worked with Joe and Clara, they, when they say, Joe said, one of the reasons if you had seven first generations, and seven different first generation responses that are different, it's selective. And Joe may have felt different on different days. So our custodianship means that we try the best we can with our own integrity to hold on to what we've been given as best we can and to continue to study. So sometimes I'll hear Kevin talking and I'll go, Oh, yeah, I forgot that particular item that so-and-so said. Got to remember that one. I heard it before, but somehow I edited it out. So that's how I feel about it. And I feel that even Sean has information, but it it would be nice if all of it were shared.
2: Exactly.
0: Do you have any thoughts, Kevin, about custodianship?
2: Well, I, Pat and I are similar in some ways, but I, you know, I train new teachers and training program is not big, but I really feel my responsibility is to lay a foundation that's realistic and allows them to understand the historical perspective of where Pilates came from and to ground them in such a way that hopefully, and I tell them all this, I said, I'm laying the foundation so now you guys can go take off and do other things. You need to continue your practice until you get to, you know, a specific point where you really understand it in your body. And many times, even at the end of a one-year training program, which is how Core Dynamics usually turns out right now, my students are, they're lovely people, all of them, and I adore them, but they don't know what they don't know, which Ron would say all the time. And... Uh, I've had bosses in regular careers say, you know, they don't know anything. They don't. They don't. They're unknowingly incompetent. They don't really know what they don't know. And if they remember that, they will become a good teacher. But I can't do anything more than that than lay the foundation and tell them that they're part of a family. And if they need some help, they can always come back. But that's what I do. I'm old school. And Pat, I know you have other things.
1: Oh, well, yeah, and I agree with Kevin. We, first of all, if we're really honest, I I usually, because I was a dancer, I'll use uh, ballet as a model. So let's say that Kevin decides to go (laughs) and take ballet. And he says, wow, after after three months, this is incredible. Everybody needs to do ballet. And he goes to his teacher and says, I'm gonna open a school to teach people how to do ballet. Well, that that's absolutely crazy. But if we're honest, there's something about the immediacy of the experience. You lay down on the reformer or you do the math and you get so much and you're so enthusiastic, I'm gonna go open a school because you haven't done the years of practice as Ron would say, to get it into your bones, to go through the spell where, gosh, I, I'm i losing it. I'm getting it. I, I'm losing it. I, I finally got this exercise. It's a process. But these younger teachers, they don't know that. We are actually responsible for this, maybe by allowing them to come into programs too soon. So this week, I had a visiting orthopedic surgeon from another country, you know, Junya, and he has been practicing Pilates and running training programs for, at, let's see, I met him in 2005 in my studio, so I would say probably since 2000. And he was here visiting with me the other night, and he said, Pat, we're having an explosion in Japan, and I think in Korea, and certainly in China, all over the world. And he said, teachers are immature. They need more guidance. And so it's not a perfect situation. We can't expect people to spend three years like Joe asked, but I would say it should be five years.
0: I agree. I mean, it warms my heart that that his work is finally Getting to that point that around the globe now, I'd love to hear every country, at least, is having a sense of the method, even though it's probably like the telephone game. And I, I remember people coming to my studio in Hollywood, and they would they came from other schools, and I would say, "What is that?" You know, I I didn't recognize the exercise. I don't think they understood the intention, so. I think we are at a a critical point as second generation educators to make sure it it doesn't go off the rails because it's just going to end up turning into some fancy exercise program.
2: (laughs) These are all important things that we're talking about. And unfortunately, you know, I think we're fighting a losing battle at this point all we can do as um, seasoned educators is to do what we do. The amount of insanity that is happening because the disruption with what's going on with the PMA and the lack of understanding of the National Pilates Certification Program and the credential, I, it's, it's an unfortunate place. And you know something that I told the board of the PMA many years ago, and Pat was there, was if we're not careful, we're going to become irrelevant, and we are probably at that point, or pretty close to it, right now. Not you, Darian. Not me necessarily. Not Pat. But in general, we're we're getting to that point. And I'll say this little sidebar: I remember Ron getting so upset when. He said someone walked up to him and told him that they were a Pilates teacher and they were taking Pilates to the cutting edge. Well, (laughs) Ron almost lost his shit. And he said, what the hell does that mean? I don't even understand what you just said. And, you know, that poor young woman was mortified, but on so many levels and probably should have been because, you know, she didn't even... She didn't know what she didn't know. Again, we go back to unknowingly incompetent, right? Unconscious incompetence. Yes.
0: If you would have stayed as the executive director, mm-hmm. do you think things would be different now?
2: I would like to think so, but I don't, you know, I don't know whether they would be or not. I mean, certainly the the vision changed after I left. And that was the choice of the board and the executive director, but.
0: Did you choose to leave?
2: Mm -hmm. I did. I did. I took the board by surprise when I resigned because none of them knew. Um, and I, was there. she was there, I resigned in a board meeting. I had had a long talk with the attorney about it and I was frustrated with a number of things. And, um, I also had.
0: Did you stand up? Pardon me? You were in a meeting for other items. And then, did-
2: no, we were in a meeting at our attorney's office in Miami in her boardroom at our pro bono attorney. I uh, announced it as part of the board agenda that I would be resigning. And I had consulted with her and some other of my colleagues that were in the not for profit and uh, told them that, that what they needed to do was to go into an executive session. I was going to leave. An executive session is when I was the executive director of the board would have a discussion that usually is kept confidential. Um, those things are not supposed to be shared unless the board makes a decision that certain things are shared. They should go into an executive dec- session and decide what to do. And by the time I had come back, I went for a drive, went back to my studio, made a couple of phone calls, came back, and the decision had been made that Elizabeth Anderson would become the executive director. And there was no job selection process. They didn't go to a headhunter, which they should have done to have found someone to take over for myself as the founder, because that is a very important flashpoint when an organization switches over. And that decision did not happen. And they, by one person, kind of made a decision that she would become the executive director.
1: I I I need to interject here. I'm a slow considered thinker, which is not always good. <laughs> and in hindsight, I think Elizabeth Anderson should have applied for the job in a formal application process. And it would have been the right thing to have opened that position up to at least three people so that there was a vote and what happened happened uh whether that was good or bad i'm not going to say but i am going to say that normal process would be that you would have an election process you wouldn't decide that in the course of Kevin driving around and visiting a studio. So I think the board made the mistake.
0: Were they just in shock that you were gonna you were going to leave? So they, they didn't know how to respond.
1: Well, I was there and I would say yes, everybody. In fact, the other part about it is we had we had two new board members there. So when you're a new board member, you're finally learning what's going on in the inside of the PMA that is confidential. One was, well, one was Margie Vangeli and one was Rebecca Leone. And so they're blindsided because they're coming onto a board and they're expecting Kevin to be there, and Kevin's not there. The rest of us, he's our fearless leader. So I would say there, there was a certain amount of shock but it wasn't, it it just should have been, I, I think a more open, uh, a vote, uh, a process of voting and vetting. How about that?
2: That was what Jan and I were hoping and expecting would have happened. And she may have even suggested that, but that was not what did occur in any other organization. The typical thing would have been to, you know, Go to a headhunter and allow them to do an executive search for you and out you know outline the parameters of what the job would be and what's expected and the salary etc cetera, etc cetera. then you know move forward with you know getting several candidates like pat said and then reviewing those people and determining the person who might be the best fit for the job in so many ways because not only There was, you're losing the founder, which had become, you know, I had become a figurehead and also the mouthpiece for the organization and done a lot of frontline things, including lobbying in Washington and giving us a presence in Washington. And once, you know, the changes occurred, that kind of left by the wayside, which is, you know, to go back to your original question, Darian, Things would have probably been different had the trajectory continued down its course, because the original trajectory was to really give Pilates a much more higher national profile as a very firm and important means of health and wellness that could change the face of the United States. That was my idea. And somehow that never happened.
0: And, you know, that leads me to one of my last questions. I'll direct this to Pat because Pat sent sent me this quote. I think we all have a lot to say about this. Joe would often say that everyone around the world would be doing his work. And here we are. Yes, they are. But he didn't stop there. He is quoted as saying, there is no hope for world peace if the members of the United Nations cannot do my first five mat exercises.
2: I'm going to applaud at that so, one, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: you go first.
1: I just had a conversation with, um, somebody I work with every week who actually did three years of training with Ramana with, I always say the real Ramana. She was there seven days, uh, um, this lady was there seven days a week. And we were talking about the practice of Pilates. And she had just, she had injured herself recently and she, and she said, you know, my studio owner who was Ramana trained, we do a lot of modifications because we're working with a lot of different client uh, populations, special populations. And he decided we're doing the mat list exactly the way it is and return to life today. And we're all just gonna do it. So after the class, the comment was, how did that feel to everybody? And everybody was like, wow, we kinda get so distracted that we forget we could just do the list and it really feels good. And we actually feel taller. So for me, I always wonder how many of us walk around, claim to be Pilates educators, run studios, and have left our own personal practice back home and don't do it anymore? So that would be my question. Are, are you walking your talk? Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: That, that is key and important. I always say to students, like, if, if you're going to teach, you've got to have it in your body. If you don't have the internal transformative experience of doing this in your body and know what that feels like from an emotional standpoint and from a body standpoint, how can you possibly impart that on anyone? Nobody's that good of an actor or actress. Sorry. So, yes, it, the statement to me also goes back to the fact that that's kind of what, you know, we knew those statements. We knew what Joe said. That's why I thought we need to go to Washington. We need to get, you know, we were working with a firm up there and the idea was going to be that we were going to do a Mac class in front of the Capitol and invite everyone to come as a promo piece and talk about Pilates for kids and get those things happening and get Pilates on the lips. Yes. Of all the politicians, so that maybe someday, you know, something else could have happened with that.
0: Yeah, not Hollywood, but Washington D.C. You know, not celebrities talking about their Pilates classes. No, but people who can change from right or, out. or
2: and servicing a need for the the congressional, you know, the, the the messengers and all of the people that work in all of those offices that stand behind each of those senators and each of those. Uh, House of Representative people, those people needed to have some release and relief in what they did. So that you know, that's really where we were with that. And I think had that trajectory stayed in place, we would be having a very different conversation today than we're having right now because Pilates would be in a lot more places that it's really needed to be like our schools.
1: Hospitals. Right. Right. And the other thing that we all talk about how social media, it's good and we can watch the social dilemma and find out about what's happening to us and our brains are becoming slot machines. And I know Kevin and I have talked about this, but yes, we do go to Instagram. And I think what's happening to the Pilates community is in order to keep up with the social media profiles, it's tricky little things with cute outfits. And some of these people have their drop-dead gorgeous bodies. Some of them do the exercise as well. And sometimes we see things that where it's like, hmm, don't remember learning that in my teacher training. So I think not that- to
0: mention Not to mention the very loud music, musical choices that some of the Instagrammers put behind their practice, and I was told from Romana, I don't know if this is true, it rings true, that Joe said, we are supposed to create the music from the inside of our body with the movement and with our breath. That's where the music comes in, not this blaring outside, distracting. How can you ever find your center when you have that kind of music?
2: That sounds like a something that Romana would say, and Joe probably said something like that. And Romana was really wonderful at um, carrying through with inspirational tidbits and, and sayings that really her students remembered. And now look at you, Darian. I mean, these are all these are all things that kind of got lost a little bit.
0: This is what I teach. I mean, sometimes, yes, we need a little background music, In the background way in the background Mm -hmm. if it feels energetically that people need some other kind of sensory experience but the work once you're in it there's nothing else going on other than you and the the work in your body that you're experiencing at that moment you don't need anything else like you're saying kevin is sort of getting lost because as Pat was saying when we look at social media, especially Instagram, and people do all these beautiful moves, we think that's what Joe's work is. And it's not, you know, it's not a performance art. It's this healing exercise practice that we can only find when we tap into what is happening inside our own body. And I don't know if that is being articulated.
1: To me, it's a movement meditation. And meditation has a, a totally different feeling, environment. Now, Ron, he did he did have his own breathing that he called percussive breathing, but he would say the, the breathing, the breath is the drummer. Well, breath is another way of getting in touch with the inside of your body and Joe said, above all else, teach breathing first. So how are we supposed to be in touch with our breathing, whether we do Ron's breath or Ramana's or Kathy's, how do we get in touch with that? If we don't have a quiet space. Yep. Absolutely.
2: Right. Right. And those, the um, that part of being in touch is just important again i go back to saying if you don't have that internal transformation you don't have that internal experience how can you be a good teacher especially these days if you go back to even the social media comment that you made we look at and i love the social media posts of real people doing pilates we have such an ableism in pilates with all of these you know know, stick thin people doing the work and Presenting something that's unattainable for so many people and you know, then We fall into that kind of phase where someone looks, oh, that's really pretty well. I can never do that I could never do that. I could never do that. It's just her, you know, yes. she she just does Jennifer Aniston She does it, you know that type of thing and that's I mean the real important work when you're a teacher I always say is the five feet between you and your clients when you're teaching them, or the six feet when you're working with them, because that's the most important thing. And to me, making a difference in someone and their movement and their body and something you can see is far more rewarding than having a class filled of 10 people. And I'm, you know, bopping my body around, trying to make them all, la la, let's go, you guys, it's time to move. You know, I taught aerobics for years, you know, I'd already told you that. So um, that was always fun. But I don't know how many people's lives I changed doing that. I think I've changed a few people's lives doing this and that's important.
0: So we want to respect and honor, cherish and value his method as he as he wanted us to, even though we weren't even around, you know, it came into the scene but just like I started this interview, I think all of us feel a certain obligation to stay true, one, to our own practice, and to stay true to his vision, and then how we interpret his vision, and put that on our students and help them understand that.
2: And humility. I think you have to be really humble in so many ways. I mean, something that michelle taught michelle larson taught everyone that she trained was being humble you know i don't think i'm the best i'm certainly not the best i'm just humble about it you know people think sometimes brilliant shit comes out of my mouth but i guess like, hey, you know <laughs> it's the way it is right we we can't be you know have a, too big of an ego that
0: you get in front of the work I've always said that you can't get in front of the work. And as soon as you do, it's over.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Our, our job is, is really to transform the other person. So when, when you're the teacher and you're trying, you're trying to be brilliant and you're trying to use all these important words and, and your own philosophy is that the student experience, what. What are we doing? We're trying to transform the student. So we're simply blessed to be a vehicle in that yes, in that moment in that person's life. Yes.
0: Well said. I know we probably could talk two more hours for sure. If people listening want to reach out to either one of you or both, what's the best way?
2: Go ahead, Pat.
1: You know, I think people are really enjoying uh text seven two zero eight four one two six zero nine or pat at
2: patguitenpilates.com. For me, just simply email me, Kevin at core you know, I have a, another job that I do, so I get too many texts from that. In this way, if someone sends me a text, I'm happy. and I know it's coming to core dynamics that it's about the bodies,
0: and maybe there are people out there that just want to have a conversation with you. You know, they just mm-hmm. want to be around people who are real and are trying to pass on the work for the last how many decades now?
2: Not longer than I, but yes we've 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 both been around for a little while, yes. We're young at heart, but we're you know not young in the um in the age part of it. I guess
1: we've done three years. We've done our three years.
2: We've done our three years. Yes.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, Darian. Thank you for the opportunity, and it's nice collaborating with you and being here with my buddy Pat. Yeah,
1: he's my buddy. Someday we'll tell you the Mrs. Bowen story.
0: (laughs) Is it a story? Is it provocative?
1: Yeah, it's kind of fun. Kevin was the executive director or the president. And when we would meet for board meetings, he would get a large suite so we could have the board meeting there. And there would be breakfast and coffee break and lunch. And so somebody would call the room. And one of us would go over and of course the board was full of women because Pilates was full of women. And so you pick up the phone. Is this Mrs. Bowen? Well, yes, we were all Mrs. Bowens. So I'm the only one. Well, I'm one of the few that hasn't
2: divorced him yet.
1: I'm still a Mrs. Bowen.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've got I've got a lot of divorces, uh, both sexes, mind (laughs) you. So.
0: All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Darianne. Bye. Bye
1: Bye-bye.
0: All Things Pilates is produced, written, edited, and hosted by me, Darianne Gold. Mastered audio mix by Fabian Romero. This season, we have all original music by AKA Johnny. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, you have the opportunity to support it for as little as $3 a month. You'll see the link in the show notes and just know that every dollar helps me continue to bring you the most interesting guests in the Pilates community. It occurs to me that the Pilates community is like one big family with many children and even a few adults. And like most families with lots of kids, there are some who want to fit in, others who can't stand to go along to get along, and of course, the children who want all of the adults' attention. So which are you? An adult or a child? Are you a giver or a taker? Study your own behavior and intent when practicing Contrology with others. Thanks so much for tuning in and meet you here in a couple of weeks for another episode of All Things Pilates.